Hey, what's up, Bible Bencherinians? It's uh, Luke and Eric on this beautiful Tuesday afternoon. Um, I love how that phrase is slowly um, devolving into just Bible Bencher mumble mumble. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, that's how I talk. It's simply in mumbles and sarcasm. So, so yeah. So, welcome to the show, everybody. Glad to have you. We just finished. Uh, cutting an episode of the tailgate special what are we talking the tailgate man what are we talking we talked about uh platforming and deplatforming platforming and deplatforming and if you don't know what that is that's, just that's ask great. luke he knows all about it because this yes, morning he it, didn't i had to educate him yes platforming is the thing that little mario does on all of the games where he has to get from point a to point b that is it, not platforming it is also the thing that you do when you give someone uh, a voice or um some might say a microphone when you bring them onto a platform where they have an audience and deplatforming, of course, is when uh, you give them a swift kick in the tush and remove them from said platform. Okay. Yep. That's right. So very good, Luke. I'm glad I educated you in pop culture. I do believe that the, the exact phrase uh, swift kick in the tush is the exact language of Twitter's uh, user policy. I don't believe it is, but that's okay. We forgive you, Luke. Um, so today we're actually going to be talking about how to have conversations with people we disagree with. So difficult conversations and, and whatnot. Um, but before that, we got our three things prior to it. So we got our what's new, what's good, and what's the word. Luke, what's new with you, man? What's new? And if you take mine, I'm going to give you a swift kick in the tush. <laughs> because we already established in the tailgate episode that I what'd you call me? Uh oh, I, I don't I don't uh I, I don't kiss and tell, Eric. What happens in private doesn't come out in public. Well, it was kind of public, it was on the tailgate special. Um and I have the power to make that public to everybody what you said about. I, I mean, by definition, it wasn't public because it was on the tailgate special. But that's neither here nor there. What's new in my oh, house? It's here or there. <laughs> it's one or the other. Um, I, I'm, I can I'm tell a benevolent you, dictator. That's what I can tell you're going to be especially pedantic today, and I'm really looking forward to it. The uh, What's new in my house is a game changer. Holden <clears throat> is walking. Wow. Before before potty training, right? Like that was the thing, whether or not he was going to be potty trained or walking first? No, it was walking or talking. He's 12 months oh. old. Oh, whatever, man. I forget. I can't remember. <laughs> if, I, if you potty train before you walk, I... I... <laughs> yeah, that'd be impressive, man. It's been a while since I had a baby. <laughs> I can tell. What's new with you, Eric? Um, well, I just learned the definition of pedantic, and it and it fits me perfectly. <laughs> so the first definition on Google <clears throat> of or like a pedant. Now, first off, that's so such a stupid definition. But then it says many of the essays are long, dense, and too pedantic to hold to great appeal. Um. Wait, that's not even a definition. So no, I haven't even understood. The, I don't even know what pedantic means yet. Hold on. I love I love when they define words by just using a smaller version of the word to describe the word. So Merriam and Webster, uh, the first definition is of relating to or being a pedant. These well, people. What's so? It looks like you need to go look up what a pedant is. Narrowly, stodgily, and often ostentatiously learned. Now I have to look up another word. <laughs> the this, third this definition, episode of, unimaginative or dull. <laughs> this episode of, uh, of Bible and Banter will be exclusively us looking up uh, words in dictionaries as the definitions reveal more words we don't understand. I feel so inferior right now. I feel so I, uh, I, so I what do you mean when you call me pedantic? What do, what do you mean by that, Luke? So I know whether or not to give you a swift kick in the pants. I might not even be using the word correctly, but I was uh, I was thinking of someone who is uh, obsessed with the details. 
Okay. All right. Yeah, yeah. If that were the case, uh, be uh, if you are listening, I would love for you to <laughs> pedantic is a valedictory word. Thank you, Mike Alley. <laughs> so, if you could please share the definition of pedantic in a way that Luke and I can understand, I'd appreciate it. Uh, once, one real quick. Once in a sermon, I used the term self-aggrandizing, and uh-huh. then there was there was someone in the congregation with like master's level education who came to me afterwards and said, "I had to look up that word," and I realized this probably isn't good language for just the average bloke in the pew. So I uh, I toned it down a little bit. Well, that sounds kind of like a humble brag. Oh, uh, absolutely! It's a humble brag. <laughs> you... I mean, how do you how do you think how do you think that I make it on this show, Eric? I, I just I just take my normal level of intellect and I cut it down to size, and then I'm I'm you know at at the appropriate level. Uh, what's new with you? So the Mandalorian's new with me, and listen, I, I know a lot of you don't like Star Wars. That's okay. Just give me these two to three minutes of your time, and I just want you to know how much I am just loving the new season of the Mandalorian in the last couple of episodes have been just otherworldly good. I mean, it is phenomenal. Pun intended. I, I am. Con- yeah. I, I am convinced that um, if John Favreau had done all nine or just the six, the prequels and the sequel uh, trilogies, right? Dude, Star Star Wars would be so better, so much better than it is now. You know, yeah, you, but then Hayden Christensen wouldn't have a career. I mean, he uh, how where would he? How would he good thing. Family? That's probably a good thing. <laughs> uh, also, on, uh, according to Glenn, someone obsessed with details. Okay, I can. I'll own I want. I want to correct the record for a moment. I know that the whole point of the show, or not the whole point, half the point of the show is that Eric and I are. Uh, sarcastic and throw zingers at each other but for the record eric uh your intellect challenges me with regularity i want that to be uh publicly known that that my comment earlier about what's the term you know patronizing you is not remotely uh it does not correlate with reality even a little bit well i appreciate that luke um that a man of such great stature as yourself would refer to myself as a man with great intellect. <laughs> so, uh, what were your thoughts of the Mandalorian? Yeah, I'm, uh, I mentioned a few weeks ago, I am conducting that train now. Season one, I wasn't willing to get on the train. I said it was good, not great. This second season is the best thing Star Wars has done since uh, episode six. So best thing they've done in in 30 something years. Kudos to Fabro. Yeah, I think oh Meredith does not like the man. She wants she just wants the zingers. See, she understands that if you apologize or take back the zinger, it loses its zing. You know, this might get to the heart of the whole focus of today's episode is having conversations with people you disagree with. We might have to bring Meredith on to the show right now <laughs> to discuss why she hates um, why she hates Star Wars and, you know, why she hates the Mandalorian. Um, I oh, just, you think she's barfing? You think she's barfing at Star Wars? I thought she was yeah. barfing at our sweet little moment earlier. Oh, maybe. I don't know. Me- Meredith, clarify, please. Tell us what <laughs> um, you're barfing at. Yeah. So, uh, I just, there's so much, and I know they've been railed for it recently, but a lot of fan service in the Mandalorian recently, but so what, man? I mean, there should have been more, if they would have done fan service in episode seven through nine, it would have been a lot better trilogy. That's for sure. Because the fans, the fans knew star Wars better than the directors did. You know, what's funny. I think there was just as much fan service, if not more in episodes one, two, and three, but it's amazing how the fan service in the Mandalorian actually serves the story. It's not just dropped in to say, Oh, remember this? It it serves a function in the plot. So, Mm -hmm. Oh, Pama. Oh, Mm -hmm. Oh, that makes me so sad. That hurts my heart. Yeah. We're going to have to move on. Don't, don't yuck someone else's yum. <laughs> I've never heard that phrase before. I don't even know what that means, but okay. So, uh, Luke, 
What's good, man? Give me something good. What's happened in the last week that's good? Yeah, I you know what? I think what continues to be good is a couple weeks back, I it was nearing the end of the year, and so I I sort of sat down with my job description and reviewed my year. It's been a weird, crazy year, and that's okay. You know, uh, these are unprecedented times, and so you there. In some ways, what happened was unavoidable, but I just realized how much responsibility I volunteered for that isn't actually what I was hired to do. Mm-hmm. And I've started to unload some of that stuff and get back to my actual job. And uh, it's been amazing. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't I didn't realize, you don't realize how heavy the weight is until you take it off. Mm-hmm. And all, all of a sudden, you know, it, it just feels completely different. So in some ways, I, I think maybe things I, I've been doing over the over the past nine months was inevitable because it was such an unprecedented time. But it's good to get back to being a pastor, a teacher, a preacher, a counselor, um, and sticking as much as I can to my lane. That's been really good. Cool. Hey, Mike gave us the definition of his term. He said we use that with our kids when they say something uh, someone is eating is gross or if they try and say that supper looks gross. Don't yuck someone else's yum. I like it. I, like I do it. like that. Yeah. Yeah. What's good with you, Eric? What's good with you, Eric? Uh, so uh, I, two things. I am cheap when it comes to certain things. Like very, like not like I just hate spending money on furniture at all. Like I could, I could sleep on a bed of rocks. Like I don't want to spend money on anything, but we had a recliner for, man, I think we, we've had this recliner for maybe six or seven years. It was Ashley furniture recliner that I got on discount. I got the floor model, got the cheapest one I could find when I was in the army. And then uh, it broke a couple of years ago, like two or three years ago, it broke so that it no longer reclined. Or if you reclined it, it literally took an act of God to get the reclined part back into the entire recliner. It was just, it was painful, man. It was so bad um, to the point that, I mean, we just never reclined it anymore. So we just had this seat and um, I finally broke down and bought a new recliner. And I, the same day, all I wanted in the same day. Now I am not handy whatsoever, right? So I also hung a TV in our bedroom. Sorry, right. I'm not laughing at you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's because, listen, Meredith. Okay, I'm gonna put <laughs> Meredith. I this is like the third time Lucas told me this story today. So please. <laughs> Cut me a break. I, I am going to come to Eric's defense here. We talked about this earlier, so it's not new information for him. Yeah, this is kind of old hat for me. Like I already, I already soothed his soul, and and the whole like <laughs> the first, the first time I told him, he said, "Hi, dude." <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, so this Saturday, man, I just killed it. I was able to finally hang a TV that took me three days to hang because I didn't know how to find studs in my wall. Um, then I had to borrow someone's drill because the drill I had was like a wimpy one. So, and now you guys are making fun of me for the Enneagram. This is so ridiculous. Anyway, uh, derailing me. These are my favorite shows when the commenters show up uh, uh, feeling really sassy and for whatever reason, you become the subject of all their ire. So I'm just going to sit back and enjoy today. So the other day I heard the term um, gaslighting and I've heard it a number of times, but I don't know what gaslighting means, but I think this is it. (laughs) I think they're gaslighting me. I don't know for sure, but you know what? I'm using the term. We're taking it back. So um, anyway, I got a recliner, hung a TV, and then all day I just I, I just go out to the store to get something else, came back, and all I wanted was to sit with my family, watch a Christmas movie, and sit in my recliner and eat Chinese food. And that's what we did, man. Eat some Chinese food. We watched Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, um, and then I took a nap after that. Are you, are you ready? I'm, I'm, by the way, uh, thanks for telling us about your chair. That's cool, bro. Gaslighting. <laughs> Gaslighting is a form of psychological manipulation in which a person or group covertly sows seeds of doubt in a targeted individual or group, 
making them question their own memory, perception, or judgment. Well, this seems overt, not covert. So I guess they're not gaslighting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, by the way, I'm getting, you. By the way I'm getting feedback again. All right. Yeah. Um, I have plan. I have Plan B. I know you have Plan B. I'll, I'll, let the, I'll let the sh- I'll let everybody know. I'll tell them your Plan B as you go off okay. and do your thing. Okay. Uh, so as Luke is doing his Plan B, before we came on air, like we were doing the tailgate special, which you can get on our Patreon account, and I told Luke, check your check your phone, make sure your office phone doesn't go off, make sure the uh, notifications on your cell phone don't go off, and make sure you have your headphones so that we don't get feedback. He shows up with headphones that don't fit his laptop. And he goes, well, man, I think it will be okay. I don't think that we'll have any issues. And here we are. We have issues. Not only that, but literally right before we came on the air, his phone went off. His office phone went off. So he clearly did not unplug his phone properly or set it to silent. So that also sparked a conversation about how Luke never would have made it in the military because he can't show up on time in the right uniform and bringing all required uh, items. So that is why Luke is a sissy. He's like a little girl. Um, can't hang. Uh, no offense to women, but can't hang in the military. So. <laughs> There you go, Luke. I'm gonna have to go back and listen to that rant because that was long. That took longer than I thought it. Was. I had to fill the time, man. <laughs> I knew it was gonna take you a while to get to the plan B. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So that was my something good. Got a new chair, man, and got to watch Christmas. Got to watch Rudolph and Frosty. So now uh, I wanted to watch Santa Claus is coming to town, but Robin said I don't think she really digs that one. So oh. we're eventually gonna watch it, though. Oh, that's unfortunate. Yeah. That's a that's one of the uh, lesser appreciated diamonds of of that era of Christmas movies, that stop motion era. Yeah, and I don't think I don't think people can appreciate the nuance of my own views, where I think Santa Claus or pretending Santa Claus is real, not necessarily healthy, but enjoying the Christmas spirit that comes with it, that's okay. So I. I, like the I I draw, I draw the line at real people myself. I'm perfectly fine with you telling your kids that the snowman out in the yard is a real person, but don't tell them Santa is. Come on. Well, he was at one time. And I heard some stories from some friends uh, through social media. They were saying how like one person said that they were um, checking out at the grocery store and they've never done Santa Claus, but they had recently learned in their homeschool curriculum about St. Nicholas, you know, hold, the guy who punched Arius in the face. Hold on, it, keep. Keep talking. I'm going to grab my stand real quick so that I don't make Mike up Chuck his lunch. Okay. I appreciate that. Um, so they were saying that as they were exiting the store or at the checkout counter that um, the clerk asked, what do you hope Santa's going to bring you for Christmas? And the child said, Santa's dead, <laughs> uh, which is just hilarious. So, um, yeah. Anyway, I appreciate everyone sticking with us while Luke is trying to figure things out. Um, and oh my goodness, you we're are pro- we're, profe- we're professionals here at Bible and Dancer. <sighs> yeah, I, I want I would like to quickly. <laughs> You're gonna start thinking I'm Ooh. doing this to you on purpose. Um, I would like to quickly tell the story. So I brought headphones today. As- I already told them the story. Oh, okay, good, good, good. Um, yeah, it turns out that I, I have headphones that don't actually work for any of the technology I own except for my phone. So you guys get to enjoy. Here we go. Oh, that looks great. So look, do we have to buy you new headphones? No, no. I, I, I will go to a proper store and get some. I just didn't, I didn't realize that the headphones I own, uh, aren't con- compatible with any of the tech I own. Man, you live in your, your own little world, Luke. I know the world. It's a pretty great world. Well, I am glad to hear that these things are uh, happening in your own ministry and being able to take things off of your plate. Yeah, yes. well, yeah. Clear, clearly, uh, uh, organization and administration are such great gifts of mine that just adding responsibility to me is, you know, a, a recipe for success. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Clearly. So, um, but anyway, that's. I mean, that's good. It's good to assess things. I. I think I did. I share with you the survey that we did at my church for me, the pastoral confidence survey, or was that somebody else that I shared it with? Um, 
it's essentially a forty question uh, uh, question forty question survey of assessing me based on the biblical qualifications of an elder. And yeah, yeah, you, really yeah, you sent you sent that to me. Yeah, so you guys gonna use that? I don't know yet. It's uh, that I think it's something for us to look at using next year. In mm -hmm. terms of this year, there's just not enough time. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Anyway, Luke, what's in the word, man? Yeah. So I have a uh, shout out to Lou going and my Greek class. Uh, it's free Tuesdays at noon and I'm learning a lot. And one thing that I was really, uh, I'm, what's good today is not necessarily going to be, I think most of the time this, this section, I'm going to share like a verse or a passage or a story today. I want to share more of a general truth. Uh, I was, I was impressed yet again today with, how carefully God has preserved his word over the generations through the very natural means of uh, scribal copying. A lot of times when we get into our study of the Greek, we end up dealing with something we've discussed on the show before, the textual variants, which for mm -hmm. a lot of people, the first time they found out about them are scary because they seem to, at least initially, they seem to be shaking our ideas about biblical infallibility, inerrancy, accuracy, reliability, all those things. Um, but it turns out that oftentimes, even the places where there's a phrase or a word, where there's a couple different ones within the manuscript tradition, uh, they e even the, the discussion of scholars about the differences serve to clarify the proper understanding and meaning. Mm -hmm. So that, that, that was something that happened again today that really impressed upon me that we really can trust what God has given us and the way that he's preserved his word for us. Man, that's good. That's good. That's really good. So what's the word? Yeah. God, what's the word, Eric? It's the truth. Um, man, I don't think I can top that, but, uh, you know, I, I just started reading back through the book of Acts and I try to read the book of Acts three or four times a year. Um, really? so encouraging. Yeah. Yeah, man. The book of Acts. I mean, whew, that's, I mean, you're seeing the spirit work, uh, through the church. So, uh, this morning I was in Acts two and, uh, seeing the, the role of the Holy spirit, see so many come to faith see how he worked in miraculous ways but then also you see a transition from the miraculous to really the unmiraculous um towards the end of acts 2 and 242 to 47 i believe you know you see the church come together regularly every single day for the purpose of dedicating themselves to um, to each other, to the apostles' teaching, which is the gospel, to care for one another, and there were numbers added to them daily. So you see how God works in um, what seems like extraordinary means and then ordinary means, and it is uh, just so beautiful. But also in the book of Acts, you see how um, disputes were handled well, you know, with the Jerusalem Council and in disagreements with with Paul and Mark, and it's just such a great great encouraging work uh i don't see how we should read it more often hopefully uh if i'm at hickory grove long enough i'd love to preach through the book of acts so cool yeah. anyway good yep. word that's it man that's it so right. Game let's time. yeah let's uh let's get to the the main event so to speak so luke we're going to talk about this is something that i really uh, appreciate which is the ability for us to have conversations about things we disagree with without like vilifying one another without gas without gaslighting each without other. Gas yeah I, I guess i don't know i'm still not sure i, I understand the whole <laughs> thing but um you know we can have conversations with people with whom we we disagree and still be friends and not like act as though we're enemies. And I think that um, sometimes in social media uh, or in the media, we, we like to pretend or not pretend. We, we kind of, we make it, we believe if someone disagree with us, disagrees with us, we just can't be friends. We just can't get along. We just, um, or if someone disagrees with us, they're condemning us. Mm -hmm. uh, and I just don't think that's the case on most things, on mm -hmm. most issues, whether it be theological, biblical issues, church issues, or whether it be political issues, or even, you know, like last week, man, there were a handful of times where we talked about Santa Claus, or maybe it was even on my Facebook feed, or I saw some, I saw some stuff on, on stuff that your, your wife shared, Lindsay, mm -hmm. 
uh, and seeing comments. And it's amazing when you say, Hey, we don't do this in my family that all these other people that do do something think that you're condemning them. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, where do you get that from? And like, at first it's like, you're ridiculous. Right. Like, so I think like people are just, you know, they hear that they think that you're condemning them and you go in no way did I ever say this. But then I have to remember, we have been conditioned over the last several years, maybe even decades to be split apart in a way that when we disagree on something that you think that that person's condemning you. And I think that's incredibly unhealthy. So that's really the topic for today, which we tried to summarize in only a few words. Yeah. And I think, I think you've started this discussion in a good place. Uh, and before we really get into this, we encourage you in the comment section as always to participate because this is the kind of discussion where there could really be a lot of back and forth. And we always welcome that. Um, I think you started this conversation in the right place because the first step to having conversations with people who disagree with you is um, building up a tolerance, you might say, for views and statements with which you disagree. Mm -hmm. Because so often the uh, automatic response that we have and that I have is to take offense at disagreement, right? This is, and, and, it's interesting because I think to some degree, maybe not, I think to some degree, it is true that when we disagree, we are passing judgment. Mm -hmm. um, and let me clarify what I mean by that. It is not the case that just because I take, make a different decision than you or come to a different conclusion than you, that I am um, condemning you as a person or that I am automatically assuming that your motives were wrong uh, or that your character is reprehensible. Mm -hmm. However, even in making different decisions or coming to different conclusions, there is some level of judgment, I think, uh, in every situation. So, for example, you go down the street to Dr. Joe, the orthodontist. I go down the street to Dr. Kim. It's possible I didn't even know that Dr. Joe existed, right? But I did make a decision to go see the doctor that I did. Uh, and when it comes to disagreements, or if, if your views are at all thoughtful, then you probably did consider the other person's view, and they probably considered yours, and you rejected them. So I think the first thing you have to do in order to have these discussions is to thicken your skin a little bit, because mm -hmm. you do have to come to terms with the fact that the person sitting across from you is going to say things that to some degree, no matter uh, how well framed they are, are judgmental and offensive on just a base level. And let's dial it back just for a second, because the opposite of, of having conversations with people you disagree with is to be in an echo chamber. And mm -hmm. we talked in the tailgate special about the dangers of that, which is if you're just in this echo chamber, meaning that you are just around people that are just like you in the sense that there's no diversity of thought, then mm -hmm. those people you do actually disagree with, uh, one, you're not going to be able to, you're not going to know how to handle those conversations. You're not going to know how to handle relationships with those people, but also you're going to vilify them. You're going to make them less than you're going to think you're going to continually or, or increasingly make them seem less than human or, at a minimum, less than you are. Like you mm -hmm. are superior to them, mm -hmm. which is in itself an anti-Christian thought um, to think that any any other person, uh, any other human being is less than what you are. So mm -hmm. um, I do. Th I just wanted to make that clarification. So this is also a time where a lot of people will typically be around family and friends for the holidays for dinner and whatnot. Now, some of you might be doing that for these holidays. Some of you might be a bit more uh, conservative in where you're going for uh, for the holidays if you're going anywhere. So this is just kind of a general concept of maybe even when we're out, out of coronavirus. So Luke, what are some helpful things that we can think about as we are talking about people we disagree with? Yes. I think one of the first distinctions you have to make whenever you're having those kinds of conversations is, are you talking to a believer or not? Mm -hmm. Because that's going to change the whole tenor of the conversation. If you are talking to a believer, then especially, especially if it's a believer that you have some um, kind of relationship with, mm 
mm-hmm. then you do actually have, I think, greater freedom in expressing disagreement and engaging in conflict. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not to say that we have no uh, uh, prerogative for doing that in other situations, but because you're sitting across from someone who, A, shares the foundation of Christ with you mm-hmm. and, it, and is going to, if, if they are abiding in that, that gospel, is going to be quick to forgive you. Uh, and also because you have a responsibility to, especially if they're in sin, correct them. Mm-hmm. Then, I, then I think there's greater freedom for that. If, on the other hand, you're dealing with a non-believer, it certainly still is important for you to speak the truth, and that may sometimes offend them. But I think you have to be really careful about assuming authority mm-hmm. over them when it comes to those conversations. And I think that's where a lot of that kind of arrogance you mentioned earlier comes from. It's one thing to express disagreement with a person. It's another to express disagreement and then insist that they come to your view. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think asking what and why questions, you know, asking definitions of what people say with certain terms can be helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, because even like, even when we discuss, discuss theology, um, you know, we can use the same term, but mean something very different by it. Mm-hmm. Like God's sovereignty is a perfect word um, that I think is, is throughout all of scripture, but what is sovereignty? You know, to someone, to some, God's sovereignty ends where their free will begins, whereas for others, they might believe that God's sovereignty is absolute. So um, that's Mm. that can be – so you always want to ask, like, so what do you mean by that? How far does that extend before you engage even further in conversation because you want to get your definitions. Mm -hmm. Uh, You want to be working uh, with a full deck. You want to be on the same page. Yeah. But also, like, so what brought you to these ideas? Mm-hmm. What influences have you know have brought you here? Why do you think that? And those types of questions, one, you get people with whom you disagree to, um, to just put their cards on the table, but also disarm them a little bit. You don't mm-hmm. want to be uh, just argumentative for the sake of being argumentative right you Mm -hmm. want you're not trying to win an argument what you should be trying to do is gain understanding so if you check that at the door of saying well i'm going to try to win this person over to my side well instead first try to understand what they believe and and more about who they are rather than just trying to win them over to something yeah i i i want to piggyback off of something you said and then meredith commented on she says, I love the way of using questions to clarify terms. Uh, I think this is something we see Jesus do an awful lot, mm-hmm. where he actually teaches by listening and asking questions. And by doing so, he gets to the heart of a lot of issues a whole lot quicker than uh, we might if we're insisting on being the loudest or the most, uh, uh, the wordiest voice in the room. Mm-hmm. Or use terms that we know other people won't know. Mm-hmm. Like self aggrandizing yeah, or pedantic. <laughs> yeah, like you're just making yourself sound like a jerk when you use those terms, Luke. I want to I want to um, deal with something Richard said. Most of my disagreements are with people who say they are believers and they like bringing in topics other than the one we are disagreeing on at the time. I think this is um, a huge obstacle in uh, many disagreements where. And, and look, I'm not saying this uh, from a pedestal. I'm guilty of this a lot of the time where you're talking about one thing and then uh, you end up sort of rabbit trailing into another and you miss the, the value of the original disagreement. Mm-hmm. And this is something that can be really challenging with, especially if you're talking about something that's really, what shall we say, incendiary like politics, mm-hmm. where I, I've, I've heard conversations before where, uh, for ex- let's just take an example. Uh, let's say that you're talking to a Republican about uh, the economy, right? And the, the discussion maybe gets a little heated and all of a sudden they go, abortion. Uh, and that's an, an important thing to talk about, but it's not actually relevant to the mm-hmm. disagreement that you were having with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just used Republican and abortion as examples. This happens all the time and all sorts of different kinds of disagreements. And it can be a real challenge to try to, A, have the discipline yourself to um, 
try to focus on the, the, the subject at hand, but B, how do you engage with people who are uh, hopping islands all the time? And I'll be honest, I don't have a great answer for Richard. That's a tough thing to, yeah. to deal with. I had some back and forth. Uh, you might have seen it on Facebook last week uh, with my brother-in-law about he's an atheist. And uh, it was about uh, <laughs> <laughs> Meredith's comment of the day. Remind me when I'm disagreeing with someone to just yell abortion. Yeah, good good luck using that on Matt, Meredith. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, so it was on a Santa Claus post I had that I just thought was what it was one that I thought I tagged you in. It was just uh, something I saw on Twitter and I shared a photo of it mm-hmm. or a screenshot. And he just he kind of starts chiming in with um, with some atheist stuff, and and I tried to address one thing, but instead of him like engaging with that, he would hop on to the next thing. Yep, and then the next thing, and then the next thing, to the point where like there's seven different things that you've said and I've answered like three of them, but you keep going back to it. Like what's, mm-hmm. what's the deal? So I finally just texted him and was like, Hey dude, I'm really happy to have this conversation on you. Stop being a dingbat. Let's just stick to one thing at a time. Mm-hmm. And he was happy to do it at that point, but it just yeah. like, now I can tell my brother-in-law he's being a dingbat because we <laughs> have a relationship. Um, and he's a, I, I love him. He's a great guy. Um, but that happens. It does happen all the time, especially in things that we disagree that are, what was the term you used? Um, incendiary. They're, they're particularly, uh, I know what incendiary means. I know what incendiary means. Don't maybe the people patronize me. Maybe the people on the stream don't know. I I know. I knew you are patronizing them then. (sighs) All right. I'm going to work on using smaller words. Oh well, thank you, Mr. Valedictory. There's once you once you make that kind of a comment, there's no way out for me. You know that, right? <laughs> so um yeah, so I think it, you know, sometimes we also have to have conversations in good faith too. Mm-hmm. And and sometimes it's hard for people to have conversations in good faith because they've had negative experiences previously. So you have right. to diagnose those those things. And you and I talked about um I, was it on air or off air on the tailgate special where we talked about how um, we've had guests on the show that we've disagreed with and we've mm-hmm. had a fruitful conversation and some unfruitful conversation. Was that yeah. on air or off air? Yeah, it was off air. Yeah. So, I mean, we've had, we've had a couple of guests. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, and, just, and just like that, the guns turn on me. Yeah. Well, <laughs> stop, stop being, you know, all high and mighty. Uh, you know, we, anyway, um, a man of your stature should be able to keep up with. So <laughs> we've had people on the show that we weren't even sure if they were Christians or not. Um, and, and we've had fruitful conversation. Then we've had people that were Christians and like the conversation seemed less than fruitful. So mm-hmm. um, they just didn't seem to want to have conversation in good faith or w- weren't willing once uh, I, I remember, I'm not going to say publicly, but I remember one instance where um, I, I tried to gently tease something out and and expose some lack of consistency in their worldview or their mm-hmm. logic. And they essentially just tried to say, tried to negate the whole thing and jump to the next the next mm-hmm. topic. You know, they didn't yell abortion quite like you suggested to everyone, <laughs> but they might as well have. Yeah. You, you've raised something else, though. I want to go back to uh, this discussion that you had with your brother-in-law. So th- imagine for a moment that that wasn't someone with whom you had a relationship. Mm-hmm. It, it was just either a, a random person or someone who you were very loosely connected with, and you, and you don't have the re- relational capital to be able to try to negotiate that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it is important to judge what conversations are worth pursuing and which ones are not. Yeah. Because let, let's say that someone you didn't know and you weren't able to uh, make peace with them and they're trying to engage in conversation with you, but all they're doing is pivoting every time that you answer one of their points. Mm-hmm. You're not under any obligation to continue a discussion uh, no. with someone who's not willing to listen. Walk and away. The, right. Well, the biblical example that comes to my mind is Paul and the Oropagus in Acts chapter 17. I mean, mm-hmm. Paul has this amazing opportunity to preach the gospel before the 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 leaders of this gentile city and at the end they say hey come back next week and do it again Mm -hmm. and he doesn't 
And you, and, and at first, uh, upon first reading, you kind of go, why? And then you really study what, what the underlying sort of philosophy that was driving the people of that time. And you come to understand, well, Paul's just like a, a philosophical circus show for them. Mm-hmm. They, he, they just, they just find him interesting and, and they, they like to talk for the sake of talking. And Paul, you know, he wants to preach the gospel to people who are going to engage with him. And he, there are plenty of places where we see that Paul actually engages in debate with people who disagree with them. And he'll come back to the same synagogue more than once. Right. But it's clear that he's making judgments in terms of uh, what conversations can bear fruit and which ones can't. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with um, using discernment with the help of the Holy Spirit uh, and, and to just determine is this person is this conversation is there any chance of it bearing fruit and if the answer is no then you can just politely bow out yeah and that's and that's hard to to make that decision but you also have to ultimately look at your own mental health and realize like those conversations can be really draining Mm -hmm. why are you going to drain yourself emotionally and spiritually and intellectually when this person's really not gonna like they're just not going to be honest, right? Mm-hmm. Like they're not going to to have this conversation in in fair, um, you know, in good faith. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I want I want to turn the tables a little bit too, though, because we we've talked a lot so far about um, dealing with the the wrong techniques or motives of others, uh, but I, I want to go back to something that Catherine said a little earlier. She says, trying to set the tone of the conversation as one founded on respect and listening is is really important. I can think of conversations that I had that went badly, where in the in the moment, in the heat of the moment, I really felt very self-righteous, like I was I was doing it the right way and they weren't. And then with time, I get some perspective and I look back and I realize that I was I, I was actually a part of the problem, if not the whole problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting because I think there's a connection here between your willingness to engage with other uh, the, uh, the opinions or ideas of people who disagree with you and your willingness to engage in healthy self-criticism, mm-hmm. right? The idea that um, you might be the one in the wrong or you might be the one who miscommunicated or the one who misinterpreted. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I can think of one conversation in particular uh, where I was, I was talking to someone about uh, the things of the faith and I was asking them questions, which I thought were perfectly reasonable questions. And the, the conversation um, just disintegrated. And because I had a relationship with this person, I was able to come back to them later and try to understand what happened. And what they said to me was, when you ask the questions like that, I don't feel like you're trying to understand me. I feel like you're trying to trap me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that that conversation, it would have been so easy for me to just look back at it and go, well, that person's just being oversensitive or they're interpreting me the wrong, they're gaslighting me. But And even if some of that might have been happening, I was also not treating that person with respect. Um, one quote that I really like uh, I forget who says it, but I'm going to say it anyways because it's it encompasses this idea really, really well. Seek first to understand, and then to be understood, mm-hmm. uh, because it's so easy to make the sole mission of the conversation to make sure that your point is heard and understood. When the truth is that people are much more likely to hear you out once they feel they've been heard. Mm-hmm. That's good. Look, that's good. I think we, man, we've given great advice today. <laughs> I mean, this is. Let me let, let's make it real practical, though. Um, so you gave an example of a conversation where you were able to navigate this well without, you know, mentioning names or, or getting too personal. Can you think of a situation that you didn't? Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I can't think of specific ones, but I know mm-hmm. I, I haven't. Because um, I think, I think all. Like for me, if I feel like I've been misunderstood or if the conversation or like I say something and if I were in your situation of the example you just gave, my first instinct would have been like, man, they're just too sensitive. Mm-hmm. But then as I think about it, I usually get out of that 
frame of mind. So it takes time. So sometimes you do have to walk away from a conversation and replay it and think about it. Think about what you said, what you did, how you presented yourself and, and reassess, reevaluate. Um, and I think that's an honest thing uh, to do. So that that's why we need more than just emotions. Emotions can are, are, are kind of like <clears throat> our pain receptors. Our pain receptors tell us that there's something wrong. Our emotions can tell us similar types of things and we can listen to that, but that shouldn't guide everything that we do. So even though you might feel like if this person said, wow, I felt attacked mm -hmm. or whatever, and like your emotions could, uh, could cause you to go into <clears throat> offensive mode, right? Mm -hmm. And you can start trying to justify everything that you said, and that might be your gut reaction, but logic and truth, I think, would cause us to look at the whole conversation, look at the situation, reassess it honestly and go, man, I don't need to be defensive. I need to actually seek this person's forgiveness. Like, mm -hmm. I, they're right. I was trying to attack them um, and I shouldn't have been. You know, mm -hmm. Don't make excuses, you know, just own it and acknowledge it. And yeah. whenever you have conversations with people you disagree with, it's going to go well, it's not going to go well at times, you know, depending on the situation, the topic and the person. So, you know. Yeah, I, I think along the same lines, too, there is a, an important place for empathy. So the idea that whether or not you did something wrong, that you hurt someone's feelings. Obviously, we, we don't want to kowtow to everyone who. Uh, takes offense. But at the same time, I can think of, uh, for example, let's say I'm having a, a, a conversation with a family member and I say something that offends them, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I, you know, honestly review that situation, that conversation and, and try to, as to the best of my ability with the Lord's help, try to test my own heart. And I find no, I actually was not intentionally trying to harm that person. Well, I, I think in a lot of those situations, I would still apologize just for hurting their feelings. Uh, and that, that's not to say that I would, I would then retract something true that I said, but e even just a willingness to, to go the extra mile in order to um, uh, correct the offense, I think is as long as it's not taken to the extreme of, you're now subject to everyone who who claims offense. I think I think there's a is a real place for empathy, especially for the Christian. Yeah, for sure. I uh, I feel like I have to I have to touch on this since uh, since Meredith keeps bringing it up. So the show the show getting derailed. It is totally Meredith's fault. But she <laughs> keeps talking about the Enneagram, and here here's what the Enneagram is. If you didn't know, it's satanic. It is. Um, it, it Speaking involved. of ways to disagree with people <laughs> respectfully. Uh, and there's all sorts of stuff associated with the Enneagram. I made a post last week about the need. Our assessment, our self-assessment should be based on scripture, right? So we assess ourselves based on what the scripture says, not personality tests. Enneagram is a personality test that's kind of a fad going on right now. And um, well, anyway, Meredith commented on that. And she, along with, along with Mike Bassett, who, who's a, a good friend of mine, and they seem to agree that I am an Enneagram eight, which is the term, like if you're familiar with Myers-Briggs, like there's different, you know, things that identify you as a certain personality. <clears throat> Meredith and Mike believe I'm an eight, which according to them uh, means I'm either very zealous or Hitler. So, <laughs> and <laughs> and that's why Meredith has said an eight says you're two. Now I looked into this a little bit. Some of these Enneagrams have like these numbers have, it goes one to nine. They have like opposites or like things that are really close. So I guess if you're a personality eight and you're a personality one, like they're very close and it's easy to misunderstand them, which is why she said an eight says you're too sensitive and a one goes to bed worried that they were misunderstood. Hmm. I'm right now. I'm pulling up uh, a link to the definition of kowtow. Apparently, I just, I just put all my fancy words in my head today. I, it's like a third or fourth time that I've uh, <coughs> used a word that people don't know. So, the, oh, uh, Meredith also is is defending herself. She said in her def or to be clear, I did not say Hitler. That was Mike Bassett. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, you made a comment earlier that you're either zealous or Hitler. That seems to me a false dichotomy. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I said. My response was, why not both? <laughs> so uh, I think we're being I think we're being pedantic again. <laughs> so probably. So Meredith, this is what we're gonna have to do. We're gonna have to bring you on the show next Tuesday, and we're gonna our topic will be the Enneagram because you seem to be the expert. So we're gonna have to bring bring Meredith on to talk about the Enneagram and teach us about it um because i did some i did some digging and there are people who are christian who are very pro enneagram just like there are christians who are very pro myers-briggs um and all this other all these other personality tests but then there are some who are staunchly against it and i think there are good reasons to be against it but i'm more nuanced after hearing you say eric speaking of your nuanced view that the enneagram is satanic i wonder if we're violating the principles we laid out earlier about platforming certain voices (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i i want to i want to jump on something that mark and palma both commented on i'm going to read palma's comment i have found i tend to back off a discussion with someone if they're older have more education or seem to have more expertise in the subject even if i feel strongly about the subject um it's interesting because there is i think sometimes people like me and i won't i won't lump you in with me automatically eric i'll let you decide whether or not you fit this description i think sometimes people like me who can be very enthusiastic about discussion and debate i don't always consider the social ramifications and so Mm. the way that i talk to my friend eric even though you are technically my elder i don't think two years counts by the time i'm 30 anymore uh the way that i talk to my friend eric would probably be different than the way that i talk to my 80 year old grandmother and the the way that i disagree with my friend eric is definitely going to be different than the way that i disagree with my 80 year old grandmother and i think there's something else on this subject too that i'm learning which is um, there is a time for peace and a time for war, right? And so uh, I'll, I'll read that comment in a moment. I want to finish my point. So the, I think sometimes another tendency I have is if there's a disagreement, let's talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly we don't want to fall into the extreme of never having conflict, never talking about disagreements. That's not healthy. But on the other hand, there is a time to let things go mm-hmm. and to decide this is not the right situation to um have an argument yeah well i think you know you know paul tells timothy to restore his his elders um in in a spirit like they are his father right so there is uh, there is reason for how we have conversations with people who are in certain positions of authority even Mm -hmm. only by age um i think i think that's what the scriptures speak to so I try to assess things um, because our we're pastors too. So I think, I, and I mean, Paul's writing to Timothy, the pastor of the church. I think we need to heed that more often than sometimes we do, at least myself. Uh, I'm thinking of that, but I also assess each situation as far as what are the questions being asked? What are they looking at? Like if they're asking a question or whatever the topic is, are they seeking understanding or are they trying to, combat something I said in the pulpit or something like that, you know? So Mm -hmm. kind of, you know, I have to triage whatever that might be. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. We, we do need, sometimes you, you got to treat people differently. However, while that's true, uh, I want to read Meredith's comment. I remember when I was sharing Christ with a nuclear scientist from China, I felt 100 times more ill-equipped, but the Lord saved her anyway by his grace and his grace alone. Uh, I love this because while there's certainly social, uh, we want to be respectful socially, I think we also need to be unafraid of defending truth and certainly unafraid of proclaiming the gospel because uh, your uh, friend or your peer needs Jesus. So does your 80-year-old grandmother, right? Uh, And I think too, where was it that I heard this? I remember one time I was listening to some celebrity pastors having a discussion and uh, I wasn't there. I I heard it online. I just wanted to clarify that they're having a discussion and one of them was talking about, uh, you know, the, the clear evidence in scripture of uh, God's concern for the poor and, and talking about, you know, our churches should reflect our communities and how it's easy to end up in these, 
these bubbles and everything he was saying, you know, had some legitimacy that sometimes it is easy to hide in your church away from the dregs of your society. When Jesus was the one who was having meals with prostitutes and tax collectors, no question. But then one of the other guys piped up and he goes, I mean, the rich people need the gospel too. Mm -hmm. And, and that point really hit me hard because I think about, for example, you just meant, you mentioned the book of Acts earlier in the episode, Lydia, Cornelius, all the uh, leaders that Paul spoke in front of in that book. Uh, certainly, uh, the Jesus said, I, I came for the sick, right? There are plenty of spiritually sick uh, elders, that, that is people who are older than you, and doctors and people with areas of expertise and people uh, in positions of authority over you who need to hear the gospel. And the power of that gospel is, in, is not in your qualifications, and it's not in your intelligence or your ability to outreason them. It's just in the truth of the words spoken by God himself. So there's a place for considering social norms and uh, aiming for respect and care. And there's also a place for just blurting the truth out loud to people who you might think you're not qualified to, to speak to in that way. Agreed. I, I don't know what I don't know how I can add anything to what you just said, Luke. It was it was it was perfectly splendid. I told Eric before the show I can only do an hour, so I think he's trying to be especially respectful of my time. I'm a respectful kind of guy. I know I, the, I don't come across that way. I know you know I'm, I'm irreverent at times, but you're I, an eight, I think, is what Meredith says. <laughs> I'm Hitler, actually. <laughs> According to Mike Bassett, not not, not either Hitler or zealous. <laughs> or both. So, um, uh, uh, Matt uh, Broadway commented, "Guess I should start listening to the this <laughs> I know Meredith covered the Broadway is being called satanic." Uh, I'm kind of afraid Matt's going to come after me now. So, uh, so I'm gonna lock my doors. And- I I am. Uh, this is now the third time that I'm coming to Eric's defense today. So I don't know what's wrong with me, but. I think when Eric made that comment, it was tongue in cheek. No, I didn't call her satanic. I called the, the Enneagram. Enneagram satanic. <laughs> See, this is what I mean. This is the, <laughs> this is the, the like the perfect example of the conversation we had today. So um, I'm gonna have to get with Meredith. Hopefully, she'll come on next week and teach us about the Enneagram. I would I would love to talk about the Enneagram. No, I, I think that would be fun. Or that way we can assess its uh, value. And um, <laughs> Meredith says he's been working out for three days. I think she's talking about Matt. <laughs> <laughs> speaking of, speaking of, we've actually talked a little bit, quite a bit today about miscommunications. I think Meredith, uh, for our sake, needs to do a better job of specifying what she's referencing in her comments. It's the second or third time. I didn't know what she was talking so about. Because we're running out of time. We want to get you out of here. I just have like a funny story real quick. Uh-huh something that happened in, in the locker room last night at my hockey game. So, uh, you know, I play with all these disabled vets, right? So a lot of these guys are alpha males, you know, rough and rough and tough type guys, you know, a lot, just picture that. Right. And uh, our goalie was talking about this other game that he played in and how like this dude um, came up to him. Now, th- no, it wasn't our goalie. It was our captain who was actually involved in some special operation stuff when he was in the military. So like, he's, he's legit, man. I wouldn't mess with him. And, um, <laughs> he like stick checked someone in our previous game and the guy came up to him and said, Oh, I'm going to meet me in the parking lot, man. I'm going to, cu- you know, I'm going to, you know, whatever, whatever you say in that, uh, that situation. So <clears throat> our goalie goes, yeah, right. He's like, that guy was probably some loser. Uh, what do you say? Some loser computer programmer, like can't even do anything. Right. Like some big sissy, although they used other words and, um, and then like three guys in the locker room were actually computer programmers. We're like, Hey man. <laughs> so I just had that in mind based on the conversation. Um, yeah. uh, and I, look, I, I always knew in the comment section, I gotta say they were on their game today. You know what? I enjoyed this discussion, Eric. And this is, I think this is actually something that I needed to hear because I, as someone who, and at least in some situations, leans into conflict, it was good to be reminded of the importance for care and concern 
and consideration. Um, but also great to be encouraged by our friend Meredith, who we like to tease about uh, sometimes just preach the gospel and let the spirit do his work. Just be careful what you say about the things that Meredith likes, because he's <laughs> a lot closer to Matt than I do. Yeah, I, I I have not said anything today that's going to get me in trouble. Uh, you, and Matt, you, you and Matt, you and Matt, you patronized the audience quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> you pretty much told everyone they were stupid. So <laughs> we were bringing the show to such a beautiful close, and now, now what? I don't know. Uh, thank you, everybody, for watching and listening. Oh, uh, hold on, I want to sign off. Okay. Um, thanks for joining us, everybody. We'll see you next week. Bible and banter. God bless you. We love you. So dumb. <laughs>